It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Right. And since I... Uh, screwed up the intro there with the sound. I figure I don't care if I'm eating my breakfast. You're eating your breakfast. When we come here, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to chop down for a little. I guess we could play that music all the way through. And, there you uh, go. Well, yeah, and I can't get into Restream, so. You know, what do you mean you whatever. can't? I sent you the password. They, uh, uh, they, I, need, they, I need the login, too. Peggy, do you ever write these things down? Hello? I do, but it doesn't work. Um, it, the, the, the login is the same as uh, as it usually is, my email address. Okay. So that that <laughs> Just should... keep eating your breakfast. I'll keep logging in. We'll get... We'll, okay. We'll That's all out. we need Good today. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Good morning, everybody. Well, you know, all I got to say about... Uh... Wait a second. Let's uh, Let's set this up right. All I got to say about all of this is... Alan! 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 Al! Alan! See? Yeah, I still the, can't get into Restream, so whatever. I'll I'm deal in. with it later. I'm into Restream. Come on. Well, when you get a chance... Because um... <laughs> everybody's saying good morning, and so I... All right, well, then I got to say good morning since you're not going to say... Well, I, they, they did well I'm, I'm, I'm in Facebook, but... There's one good morning so far. So, anyways, hello everybody. They don't no, care no, about no. us. You gotta, you gotta get it on Restream because that's where all the. Uh... Well, then please text me what email address to use because it ain't working. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> that, I can't. I can't do anymore. Uh, good morning, folks. Uh, because I can't keep up with this. You know how how much goes on. Um, so, well, we were going to tell people about a town hall before we get into the show. Uh, I was so gonna... while you're doing that, I will, Alan, I will Alan, try one more Alan, time to get into Alan, here. Alan! 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 That's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to play that all day long. See, this is your fault because you said I could do the uh, the video version of it as well. Steve! Oh, I Steve, haven't even Steve, seen that Steve, so far. Steve! Steve! Do you have your headsets yeah, on it, at all? I, 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 it seems like you're not paying attention to that. Okay. Uh, no, I'm trying to get into Restream, oh. and which it will not let me in. So, uh, I would I would paste it. I would reboot. <laughs> yeah, that's probably uh, the only way to do it. No. 
It just keeps saying invalid. So anyways, add really? with the show. Um, wow. Okay. Well, I can tell you who's here this morning. We've got uh, Shelly and Dan Costa and Amos and Zan and Jeannie and Snappy J and Bruce Bruce. Um, anybody else out there? Tell us uh, where you're watching from. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies that uh, they should be doing this as well on Sunday mornings. Um and uh, please send the uh, login information to Peggy because she seems yeah. to. Have... Well, I've tried both your regular email and your Gmail and the password no, no. you sent. And really? Doesn't like any of them. So That's, it asks me I will this be morning. monitoring Facebook. Um, it even gets me to identify where the steps are or where I, the palm trees are, and then it says uh, invalid. I, I would reboot. Oh, except that you can't because you're uh, online here, right? Is that yep. it? Well, no. Don't you have like three. 700 computers there that you different computers that no. you Allison is there in Grays Lake. Hey, Allison. Um, and uh, we want to let folks know that uh, we are talking gardening today. Uh, I'm watching outside, uh, in addition to 10,000 sparrows in my backyard, I've got melting snow piles. I also have birdseed mm -hmm. all over the freaking place. Yeah, oh, my there's god, there's a bunch of birdseed there. Oh, my goodness. I'm just terrified it's all going to germinate. I, we'll ask our first guest. <laughs> well, well our, our first guest from the Chicago Botanic Garden, uh, and that's uh, Lisa Hilgenberg, and we're going to get to her in just a second. Um, and There was uh, also a lot of insects out yesterday. I don't know if you saw that. No, a I did not see that. A lot of things flying around The yesterday. little gnats flying around that... Uh, uh, big things. No, I saw flies. I saw all sorts of things really? yesterday. Really? Well... Yep. I, I wasn't out, I was out for ten seconds T to move chairs, to move Dibs chairs. Um, by the way, the city of Chicago has said, and those of you who don't know what Dibs is, is basically you clean out your spot on the street from the snowbanks and you put your chair there and you save your place. The problem is the snow's all melted and people are still saving their places. So hey, get over it. Get over it, folks, because I'm going to start trashing those chairs. They're going to end up in the, in the garbage. So grump, uh, grump, 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 grump. Uh, you know what? Well, you know they pile them. <laughs> they pile them on my parkway when they're not. You you know when the cars there, then they just throw the chair on the parkway. It's like, no, that's not happening because I actually have <laughs> I have daffodils coming up uh, under the snow. The snow goes away, mm -hmm. and I see daffodils coming up. I'm, oh my goodness. It's my the, snowdrops are starting to bloom. Yay! I have tried to get snowdrops for years and I've never done that. And uh, I don't know, so, uh, so I, I don't have. Well, we have a town hall before we get to Lisa. Yeah, let's we, do that, and then let's get, get over to Lisa. On your parkway. Um, we talked last week about uh, an effort in Chicago to keep people who are growing native gardens from getting fined. Um, and meaning, uh, a lot of, you know, I've talked about this issue for nine years on this radio show, which is just terrifying. The fact that we, we, we continue to have to do that. And what has happened is that the city of Chicago comes by, sees anything taller than 10 inches in your parkway or your front yard, uh, maybe even your backyard and issues you a ticket that can go anywhere from 600 to $600 to $1,200, um, it's their so-called weed ordinance, and uh, mm -hmm. the problem is they don't know a diff the difference between weeds and native plants. I mean, they're, to them, an overgrown lawn is the same thing 
as cone flour, uh, which seems bizarre. I guess we're talking more like sedges and that sort of thing, or, or a little blue stem or whatever. They look at that and they go, weed. Weed. And, and um, some of the, back in the day, some of the uh, environmental um, stalwarts, superstars, rock stars, got tickets. I mean, people that I have on this show mm-hmm. uh, were getting tickets. And uh, it was almost as if the city was going after them back in the day. Uh, and now uh, a group of folks that includes the Illinois Environmental Council, Open Lands, Advocates for Urban Agriculture, Blacks in Green. Um, I'm missing somebody, but uh, they are getting together to try to rewrite the ordinance or actually add an amendment to one of the ordinances. And this is where it gets really tricky, and I have issues with it. Um, that would, they're, they're, they're establishing a native garden registry in the city of Chicago. And the idea is that you voluntarily can sign up to be on the registry. Then if the streets and sand guys come by and say, hey, look at that's overgrown, uh, they have to look it up, the property up on a list, and see if you belong to the native plant registry. And if you do, they're supposed to leave you alone. That's the theory. The problem is the native plant registry is going to be uh, through the Department of Planning. Um, and, um, you know what it's like to get a couple of city, uh, departments to talk to each other, to make sure things don't go wrong. So this is make sure the pile of applications got onto the website that they're looking it up on. And the thing, and, and, and so to talk about this, uh, these groups that have been, and by the way, this is Alderman Hopkins from the second ward. Uh, Brian Hopkins is putting this together, uh, has his, it's his, amendment to the ordinance um and it's and it's actually not an amendment to the weed ordinance again this is why i have it really makes me nervous um it's an amendment to uh, a different ordinance um and so there's a town hall this tuesday at 7 p.m well yeah everything's virtual right now but nobody's Mm -hmm. going to show up uh, uh, some things are actually starting to be in person. That's why I was just clarifying. Okay. Well, it's a virtual town hall. Yeah. They may do virtual town halls for the rest of humanity. Who knows? Uh, and it's on Tuesday. Um, and where are we putting this link so that folks can see it? I would have. I was going to ask you to put it up, but you can't even get on. Well, uh, no, I'm on Restream now, so you... I, I can put it up. Oh. I went back and <laughs> Yeah, now I'll tell you later how I figured out how to get into it. Okay, so. so pop it up there so it's on all the links. If you've been watching the show and commenting now, we're putting the link up there uh, through the Illinois Environmental Council, um, and uh, we posted it on the Facebook page. So if you go back a few posts on the Facebook page, the Mike Novak Show, you can find it as well. If you want to be part of this town hall, uh, uh, you know, and obviously if you don't live in the city of Chicago, it doesn't affect you. Uh, but if you do live in the city of Chicago, it's something you might want to be involved in. And we wanted to make sure that people knew about that. So that's where uh, we start with that. And the only thing I have to say about that is... Steve! 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 All right. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, let's bring in our guest who's been patiently, 
patiently waiting for us in the left-hand corner, and she's smiling at us, and, and she even has her vase, her vase, her vase of, um, what is that, Lisa Hilgenberg from the Chicago Botanic Garden? Good morning. Good morning, Mike and Peggy. I'm glad to be with good you. Good morning. Um, good morning. Um, behind me is a bowl of, uh, it's a plant that I got at the grocery store. It's a Lenten rose, a hellebore. Hmm. And it's an What'd evergreen you call me? perennial that can grow outside. And I have some in my front yard. But this was such a pretty plant to bring yeah. in um, for just, you know, this time of year when things are a little bleak. And the tulip, uh, bunches of tulips are out on my uh, kitchen table. So it's nice to have a few cut flowers and a few plants inside as we try to get through um, until March. <laughs> well, and uh, you're already gearing up because that's what you do. Uh, you and I had a conversation the other day, and it was kind of interesting talking about uh, all. Uh, you should okay. What you need to know first of all is that Lisa is the manager of the Regenstein Fruit and vegetable garden at the Chicago Botanic Garden, which means that, uh, and as I wrote in the blog, no pressure, she's responsible for 50,000 plants each year. Um, and um, uh, you're, which means that you're planning them well in advance, and here we go. It's, it's already, you're in the middle of your job. In fact, you told me the other day, you've already uh, are starting to order plants for 2022. We work a long time in advance, that's for sure. We're trying to work um, further and further out um, to two years out. So, um, you know, the, we have a four-acre edible landscape at the Chicago Botanic Garden, the Regenstein Fruit and Vegetable Garden. And it has, um, you know, four or 500 taxa of edible plants. So in addition to all of these annual vegetables that we plant each year, which is numerous, tens of thousands of vegetable plants, um, we have a fruit collection. We have a stone fruit um, orchard. We have an apple orchard and um, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, you name it, we've got it. So if you're interested in learning about how to grow these edible plants, come out and we're, we're working towards uh, using the best growing methods and there's lots to see. There's something for everybody there. Um, we've got, you know, the production greenhouses are growing a lot of our, um, all of our vegetable starts. And so they have had to think about this, you know, a year in advance as they purchase seed and get these plants propagated and then move them into our organic um, greenhouse within the new range of houses down at the south end of the Botanic Garden. Um, so they've been thinking about these plants for a long time as I planned them well, you know, about a year and a half ago. Um, so we're excited about what we have to show you this year. We've got a, a full slate of spring, summer, and fall successions. Um, last year, due to the pandemic, we um, had to forego our spring planting, as, as people remember, until we opened. Um, but we are open, and we're so fortunate to be in, uh, you know, an outdoor venue um, that and our vis visitors really find calm and quiet and respite here at the Botanic Garden. So I hope to see all of you out there um, and um, connect with you. Uh, I, I want to talk about all of the above that, that you just Good. mentioned. But first of all, uh, I would like folks to know. And what I'm going to ask you is, um, uh, oh, no, you probably can't do that. Uh, is it possible you can turn your volume down just a little bit there, uh, Lisa? I'm getting a little bit. I hate to have you do that because you got the phone. I'm going to move my phone here. Yeah, I shouldn't do that because we'll lose the connection, and then I'll just <laughs> I'll, I'll have to scream in pain. Um, Tell me how that is. That's, I think that's, oh yeah, that's better. 
Yeah, right. I'm not hearing the feedback okay. now. Yeah, okay. That's okay. good. There we go. Uh, good. I, what I put on the blog post, you can go to MikeNovak.net. Uh, the Chicago Botanic Garden has as has more online classes uh, than you can possibly imagine than you can shake a garden fork at um <laughs> and uh and it's hands-on gardening container gardening uh vegetable gardening backyard chicken raising pruning shade gardening perennial gardening composting lawn care bonsai beekeeping uh, edible plants, herb gardening, organic gardening, wow, orchids, and houseplant workshop. I mean, whatever yeah. your need is, it's there. And so I've got the link uh, where you can do that. But the other thing we wanted to make sure you knew about is that Lisa will be teaching the Organic Vegetable Garden in Spring on Saturday, April 3rd. So the link is there if you want to sign up. Probably yeah. you should do it right away. I bet that'll... Uh, fill up rather quickly um and it's interesting because the other comment i wanted to make is that you talk about the regenstein fruit and vegetable garden a lot of people who grow stuff in their yards grow almost exclusively vegetables the and 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 it's it, it, when we talk about edibles in the garden we're almost always talking about vegetables uh and it seems like fruits get sort of uh relegated to the back burner i mean yeah somebody will have strawberries but few people are going to have well certainly in illinois blueberries are not the easiest thing to grow and and other plants uh let's start with some of the the vet or the, the sorry the fruits that you grow at, at the reagan stuff yeah yeah you know it's interesting because so many of the fruit pl fruiting plants are problem solving landscape plants so they would be things like um, strawberries that make great edgers along a sidewalk or a path. Um, blueberries are great growing in containers. You can tweak the pH of the soil if you add um, some a peat mix and some pine bark mulch to a potting mix and grow blueberries in containers. Yeah, but uh, yeah, um, containers, I think uh, blueberries in containers is great if you want to try to do it in the soil. I've always thought and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, that if you're trying to change the pH of your soil, not in a container, but your soil, it's an <clears throat> ongoing battle that you're just going to have to fight all the time. It's true. And I think um, choosing varieties very carefully, um, choosing, um, it's difficult. Lettuce, for instance, likes a pH of 4.5. Well, really? in some areas hmm. at the Botanic Garden, we have you know, 8.3 in some yeah. of the areas. So we, you know, we do use um, sulfur occasionally in the fall and allow that to break down and that will help mitigate some of the alkaline uh, tendencies of our soils. But for the most part, it's about choosing the right plant for the right place, certainly. Um, but lettuce does just fine, you know, um, with lots of organic uh, composted cow manure as well, so. I, see, I, I was not aware uh, of that regarding lettuce. Something I did find out, uh, is that all lettuces across the board generally? Well, you know, I, I, I think that's, um, they're so shallow rooted. They're so short seasoned in the garden. Yeah. It's possible to grow a really high quality lettuce crop um, in a container, in a regular, you know, alkaline clay soil of Chicago. Um, so I, I hate to deter anyone from trying lettuce. It's just an example <laughs> that oftentimes gardeners don't have that perfect, um, that perfect situation. Nobody has a perfect garden situation. There are roots and, um, 
trees that are scavenging uh, nutrients. Um, there are poor, soaky, um, poorly drained areas in our garden. But just um, work on improving the soil. And I encourage you to try something and try something again. Try a new seed or try a transplant if you can't get a seed to germinate. And just um, garden on. It's been a wonderful pastime for so many people. I think we have thousands of new gardeners in Chicago due to um, our stay-at-home orders and things. And so I encourage you to come over to the Botanic Garden. Um, you can pre-register on the website for um, a parking pass and that timed entry is required for everybody, um, all visitors, even if you're a member. Um, and then come over and see what we're planning at the Botanic Garden. We're gardening according to the right timing that you would need in your home garden. So I'll be um, beginning in mid-March um, planting into our cold frames um, where we can mm. um, sort of cover those plants if the evenings drop below 32 degrees. Um, and then about um, the last week in March, first part of April, we'll be putting out cold tolerant crops, spinach, radish, um, all the um, lettuces will come shortly after that, a few peas, mm -hmm. carrots, beets, kale. So come ooh, out and ooh, see ooh, what, I, what we're I, doing at the garden. I have a question for you regarding peas. Uh, last yes. year I had uh, massive uh, – oh, good for you. I had <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the organic sugar – sugar – what, Ann? Sugar Ann. Okay. Yes, from Territorial mm -hmm. Seed Company is what I have here. And um, peas are um, – the germination is directly related to soil temperatures. So um, there's so much moisture in our soils in the springtime. And oftentimes people think peas on St. Patrick's Day. Well, things are too wet. I mean, look at what we've got going right now today. It's the yeah. soils are laden with water. So wait right. until the soils and the temperatures just even out, mitigate a little bit, and you'll have a much better germination rate. In but the, the, but in the problem ground. is people, and uh, okay, me. Uh, I, I panic because I know peas, they want cool weather. You want to get them in early. You don't want to miss the window of opportunity. So you're saying it, it's, it's a little tricky. You've got to wait till the soil is warmed a little bit and it's, it's a little bit drier, uh, but you can't wait too long because if you get into the warm weather, then they're not going to thrive. That's totally true, Mike. And another trick is inoculate those um, pea seeds or plants. Um, it's just a, a mycorrhizae that you can dust on the pea seed. I even pour it into the, um, the seed packet. And you can um, find that at Johnny Selected Seed or one ah. of the nice seed houses online. <clears throat> and then... Um, the, what does that do? Uh, what does a, that do? What, what do the mycorrhizae do? It doesn't necessarily do? jumpstart the germination process, but it jumpstarts the soil biology. And so it gets things going and um, it creates the nutrients that um, plants need to start their germination. But, and but, so if those peas... You got me going here because peas are already a legume. They're already nit mm -hmm. fixing nitrogen in the soil. Totally. Are you and so the mycorrhizae that you add, mm -hmm. are they uh, augmenting that? Absolutely. And so they are the nitrogen fixers that will fix to the root system. You can see the nodules of nitrogen that are that are fixed. And the, the soil biology has something to do with that. And so it's important. You don't have to inoculate your pea seeds, but wait until that sweet spot in the spring when the soils are not too wet and uh, things 
dry out. If you if you plant peas about the 23rd of April, the, between the 15th and the 23rd of April, um, you know, you kind of try to outfox that big spring deluge that we usually have. Um, <laughs> it's all about timing with vegetable growing. And so a gardener picks the right day um, and the right conditions. Crumble a, a handful of soil in your hand. Um, and then, um, you know, planting depth really matters. Um, and then making sure that the peas are kept moist, but that the water drains away from the pea seed. Um, mm -hmm. I wrote an article for Fine Gardening Magazine about um, peas, and it's an in-depth look at all the varietals that um, we like at the Botanic Garden, and you can read that up. Um, I'm not, I don't remember what year it was. It was several years back, but if you Google Fine Gardening, you should be able to find it um, there. Um, I'm liking these territorial seed company um, peas um, and Johnny selected seed and there are so many beautiful heirloom seeds. We're going to grow a uh, purple potted um, uh, snow pea this year that I think is from Seed Savers Exchange, which I'm really excited mm. about growing. Um, pea diversity is incredible and they are so beneficial to our soils um, and, and make, um, you know, get things ready for that um, following crop like a tomato or a heavy feeding brassica. So you take your peas and out, they they're finished, and then too. you can, and they taste delicious. There's nothing like fresh peas from the garden. I know. Certainly. I mean, that, that's the thing. Last year we had, we, we had issues with something chomping down on the peas as they were coming up. Um, is there something that I need to be aware of in getting the plants to a viable stage? Well, you, if you garden in raised beds, that's the beauty of, you know, being able to. That's uh, what Kathy Street just house. wrote. Kathy Street said, try peas in containers. Uh, and maybe totally. that's what, what we need to do. Yeah, I like to think about peas as being um, the spiller element in a container garden. You know, it softens the edge of the container and it, it, they're wonderful in, in containers. The, the thing to be careful of is read the seed packet and make sure that the pea is either a bush type or um, a climbing type and, and mm -hmm. you know, plan what, your trellising system accordingly. So, well, oh, I see. Just, okay. you know, if, you, if you're only yeah. going to grow in the ground, we sometimes plant peas about four inches apart and they climb on each other. And so they're planted in rows and then there's a little bit of distance between the next set of pea rows and they support each other. And you could also mm. put in some pea staking, which is just a little dogwood or a few willow branches or something for the peas to climb on. They, they um, have tendrils that will um, twine around um, very narrow fishing line width netting. So they, they won't automatically crawl on a metal two tour you have to coax them onto yeah something that they can uh, right they, they yeah. need to grab onto something and that yeah. that was one of the uh, exactly we were having last year um say hey listen ladies and gentlemen welcome to p talk here on uh, the mike novak show yeah. with peggy malaki yeah. but, that, but that's okay because sometimes i love it when we go down these uh yeah these uh, rabbit holes with specific yeah. vegetables because sometimes folks uh, have had this and I've had the problem the last couple of years uh, my pea crop has not been good um, and I've been trying to figure out the best way to get them going um, and uh, and you've helped a little bit and maybe uh, go ahead uh, Lisa you were going to say one other suggestion is if you have trouble germinating outside in soils Try rolling up a few peas in a paper towel and, and getting them to sprout indoors. Um, just keeping them moist inside a plastic bag and a paper towel. And then planting those tiny little starts. 
Yeah. Once that, mm -hmm. once they root, plant those out very gently and carefully in the soil. That's another great way to start. And then I will, um, uh, maybe you could connect with the Botanic Garden or me at um, about the middle of April. And we'll talk about <laughs> how we're doing as far as uh, pea, perfect pea planting weather. Perfect peas. All right. That's that's the name of perfect uh, peas well, planting. There's no perfect pea, peas. Yeah, there's planted. no perfection in gardening. That's for sure. And we're just glad for the small things like we were all last year. That's for sure. Yeah. And uh, and folks need to know that um, I was going to talk about this, but just briefly, last year was weird because obviously right at this time uh, the pandemic was starting. We didn't really know what to do. We had we shut down everything. So you had you even had yeah. to sort of a abandoned the spring crop but as you told me by the end of the season yeah. you were ramped up and you were just uh turning out things you and you met all your pro production quotas well and i think you know we are um uh, a farm for windy city harvest so any of the produce that is produced at the fruit and vegetable garden helps meet the farm on ogden's windy city harvests um production quota. Yeah. Um, so we don't have a quota at the garden, but we, because it's organically grown, um, we um, are very, uh, you know, we're, we're part of that work. And so that um, they have all kinds of production farms across the um, city. Um, and you're, and you're one of them, obviously. And we're one of those. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we did go the spring season last year, um, just in because we were closed. And, you know, what the revelation has been that is that we are really gardening for the public. We're really, um, you know, we're gardening for people and we want to um, motivate and inspire people to, um, to find the joys of gardening and, and realize, you know, our, our mission is that all all life depends on plants and that is um is you know the revelation i think after a year like last year we were so happy to reopen and um we'll be open this year um we had to let some of the small things go we like the weeds we had to live with some of the weeds we had to we missed our volunteers we missed them greatly we missed the camaraderie we missed all of their um contributions to the garden and and they're going to be back this back year and i need to stop just for a second because we need to break uh but i want to go into that okay. a little bit and Good. about how you work with folks and that's what you're all about and as you said you're gardening for the public which is the title of the yep. blog post i wrote you should see the interview i did with lisa hilgenberg she is the manager of the reagenstein fruit and vegetable garden at the chicago <laughs> botanic garden when you come back uh, you're going to enjoy something that we've got coming up, Elisa. I think you'll, you'll find it a lot of fun. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we will be right back. At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. From small boat fishermen to your dinner table with safe, free, no-contact delivery, Sitka Salmon Shares brings premium wild Alaska seafood to your door. They're a community-supported fishery offering shares just like your local CSA. All fish is wild caught in season with respect for the limits of the ocean. Line caught and traceable to their fleet. Use promo code NOVAK25 for $25 off the first month of a share. Go to sitkasalmonshares.com slash N-O-W-A-K.
Hello from Happy Leaf. This is BJ Miller, the horticulturist here on staff. The best way we can help you be successful with indoor gardening is to provide you with a really great grow light. There are a lot of choices on the market and it can be extremely confusing to decide what you need. Our goal here at Happy Leaf is to provide you with a light that lasts a very long time and makes your plants really happy. We have several satisfied customers, including our friends Mike Novak and Peggy Malecki, because we have specifically designed a light that is versatile, it's very effective, and it is extremely simple to use. Our lights are perfect for seed starting, but you can do so much more, especially these months of the winter. You can supply yourself with your own leafy greens and herbs, grow lots of different types of vegetables, keep your small fruit trees thriving, and your houseplants will think you've sent them for a day at the spa. And uh, speaking of happy leaf, this is the time of year um, when you're mm -hmm. getting your seedlings in there. And this is when Peggy and I have a lot of fun because those happy leaf uh, LEDs are just fantastic for getting your seeds started. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, by the way, um, Peggy, uh, I'm going to let you take it away here because I think, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Lisa Hilgenberg is going to enjoy what we're going to show right now. Yeah, and we hope that in the past few weeks, you've enjoyed watching the trailers for the 10th annual One Earth Film Festival as much as we have. So today's trailer is totally relevant for the day because plant-based expert Elizabeth Alfano is going to be joining us after 10 a.m. And you'll see then how this all ties together. But even if you're not a fan of eating mushrooms, check out the fabulous photography in Fantastic Fungi. My mission is to discover the language of nature, and I believe nature is intelligent. There is a world under the earth, full of magic and mystery. It holds the consciousness of nature's connection to all living things. You know, these mushrooms, they can heal you, they can feed you, they can kill you. It's not like a vegetable, and it's not like an animal, but it's somewhere in between. They support life, they convert life. As you're walking, there's about 300 miles of fungi under every footstep that you take, and that's all over the world. The bulk of the organism is growing underground, and it's composed of these long threads called a mycelium. Almost everyone knows about the computer internet. The mycelium shares the same network design. It's amazing what we don't know about mushrooms. They really are a frontier of knowledge. You can filter water. You can create medicinal compounds almost on demand. They have incredible capacity to make things change very quickly. So I am super hopeful. The psychedelic members of the mushroom kingdom are fascinating. I have been a guide for around 350 psilocybin sessions. The most glorious part was that it made me feel more comfortable with living because you're not afraid of dying. We need to have a paradigm shift in our consciousness. What will it take to achieve that? We can heal the planet. We can build the future. And our world is fantastic. Well, not necessarily this fall, but at the uh, One Earth <clears throat> Film Festival, which opens this Friday, March 5th, and runs through the 14th. 
with uh, the 2021 season launch party on Friday at 6.30 p.m. That's this Friday. Unless otherwise indicated, all films are free with a suggested $8 donation. For more information, go to oneearthfilmfest.org. And I think... Uh, I don't know. That's not Basil. That's me, I think, barking back at me. The One Earth Film Festival, 10 years <laughs> of inspiring change. Earth, Earth, Earth. No, that's not Basil. He's totally quiet right now. Okay, good. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, oh, that's me. That's just me barking there. Welcome back to the Mike no, Novak. I'm getting feedback. I am hearing feedback. Though. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a little bit coming from uh, Lisa's, but when she starts talking... I don't think there'll be a, an issue here. Don't worry about it, Lisa. We're good to go. Lisa okay. Hilgerberg from the Chicago Botanic Garden. Um, and we were talking about, and by the way, how cool is that film? Fantastic. Fungi, fungi, fungi. What do you say? Fungi or fungi? Fungi. But she says fungi. 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 I, I, I say both. I, we should ask our, uh, we have a, um, uh, Dr. Mueller at the Botanic Garden is one of the world's foremost fungi experts. And so I would, I really? think he would say fungi. Yeah, absolutely. That's somebody we need to have on the show here. I think that would be absolutely. A, a lot of fun. Um, and later today, we're going to be talking about some fungi that were discovered in uh, cauldrons in Yellowstone National Park. Um, NASA was looking for this to, to, to help feed colonizers of space and then now we're we might be turning them into hamburgers okay uh meatless hamburgers so go figure mm -hmm. uh, and we'll be talking to elizabeth alfano about that later on it's, it's just very very cool but right now we're talking about the uh, about growing other stuff fruits and vegetables as you mentioned uh last year you you didn't have as many people this year it's different we know people can come they can come to the garden um we're still masking we're still social distancing but are you going to be able to work with volunteers this year we are going to be able to work with volunteers with approval you know for essential work so um we have been able to have the beekeepers come to check on our hives. We have eight hives at the mm -hmm. fruit and vegetable garden. Um, and so they are on a very limited basis able to um, work um, with, you know, restrictions, of course. We're following um, CDC protocols and, um, and um, other pu public health officials' um, recommendations very closely, um, stringently. Uh, for the safety of, of the visitors, but also the staff. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But yes, we will be welcoming back um, some volunteers. Uh, you know, I want to walk. Which is great. You yeah. know, that camaraderie is a big part of our yeah. work, and we we get the work done because of of the help of those many volunteers. I mean, there are well over a thousand volunteers that work at the Botanic Garden, and that's why it's so so beautiful. And so I think last year, just having to forego some of those weeds and some of that um, fine tuning, the deadheading um, was difficult for us as horticulturalists because oftentimes we're perfectionists and we had to realize, you know, and, and pick our battles. We were um, making sure that things were productive. That was our focus at the fruit and vegetable garden rather than that that fine tuning and that perfectionistic sort of approach. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm going to show some photos here in a second uh, about that. I mean, you're, that's the thing about the botanic garden. It's so different from everybody else's garden. If I got weeds in there, I look at them, I go, eh, okay, I'll get to you. Some I look point. at my creeping Charlie and go, Oh, ground cover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but you guys, uh, you're a public garden. You're, 
you know, and, and you have to do, uh, it has to yeah. look good. That's, that's part yeah. of the, yeah. the, the mission. Let's, let's take a look at this. This is interesting. I was trying to figure out what this tool is. It looks like a picture frame that you've uh, put into the garden. What is that, Lisa? That's called a broad fork. Um, it's an, it has eight tines. They're very large like fingers and a, a metal bar that I'm stepping on across the middle. And then there are two ash handles that um, I'm pulling down on. So basically soil is made of four components. Um, and one of those components is air. And our soils should have 25% air which is so hard to believe in Chicago, isn't it? When we pick yeah. up that uh, mucky clay soil. So this is basically mm -hmm. a big aerator. It's a hand tool that you can, um, you work backwards and you rock it back and forth. You stick it in about eight inches and then you push down on those handles and it lifts the soil just enough um, so that the air is incorporated. It's also good for incorporating, you know, uh, leaf, mulch or, or compost um, to add nutrients to the soil. So it's a way of eliminating tilling. It's a very low till method of caring for soils. And then the most important part of that, I think, is that we don't walk on those soils again. So after we have um, aerated them with a broad fork like this, we, we don't step on those soils again. We use a, a plywood board to distribute our weight evenly so that we're really worried about compaction and we're, we're taking care that, that um, small little plant roots have the space to grow deeply into the ground. Um, and if a home gardener would like to just use a pitchfork, you can get that same effect. Um, this tool is, the broad fork is on the market um, in garden centers and, and through uh, Johnny Selected Seed is where I got mine. Yeah, um, we, They have a great, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, sorry, they have a great one. Well, walk. I was gonna say if, you know, in my class, which is um, the first weekend in April on Saturday, um, organic vegetable gardening in spring, mm -hmm. we're gonna talk in-depthly about soil preparation and soil testing and choosing the, the right site for a vegetable garden, um, the nuts and bolts of vegetable gardening and beyond. So um, we'll be talking about variety selection and, and uh, tips and tricks for the whole season, but it will be focused on um, getting your garden up and running for spring. So it's even, actually a series of classes. I'm sorry, Mike. No, go um, ahead. It's spring, it's spring, summer, and fall. And so those will be done, um, for sure the spring will be done virtually. Um, and that information is on chicagobotanic.org. Yeah, and you can go to mikenovak.net, and I've got the link there too, uh, uh, specifically to yeah, and we, to Lisa's class if you want to, uh, you know, we'll have the, the Novak bump by the end of the day, and people will be signing yeah, up. Yeah, we put it up in social too. Yeah, and um, the, just the other week we were talking to Charlie uh, Nardozzi or Nardozzi um, about uh, his new book, uh, No Dig mm -hmm. Gardening, and he's talking yeah. about what you're talking about, which is if you're going to do anything to the soil, please do it gently. Uh, you folks who have rototillers and you religiously get out there and pulverize your soil each uh, spring and summer, stop doing that. Just stop ju that. Just stop it. Um, you, you're 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 messing with the soil food web, um, and this is the mycelium. As, uh, exactly what you're trying to do there, Lisa, is is is, mm -hmm. is aerate the soil as gently as possible, right? We are exactly, and after you know working backwards and and using that broad fork, then we're just using a, a hard rake to kind of hammer out some of the larger clumps, 
And yeah. we work these beds very, very hard, spring, summer, and fall, year after year after year. And so we're, it's, my main mission is to create high quality soils. And that is part of a whole process of working with mother nature and um, using um, sort of preventative um, measures. And, and um, you know, there's a, a picture of our entrance bed um, last year. That was a beautiful uh, planting. We had a, um, purple uh, pepper called Pinot Noir, um, which I believe was the Ball Seed product, who is a wonderful um, partner. Um, they have a great line of vegetables, Burpee and Pan American Seed has some incredible breeding. Um, and so we're happy to plant those plants. We had a red kale um, and um, there was another pepper called Bianca, which was a white uh, bell pepper that was planted along with um, a, an upright marigold, um, Tajidis erecta, um, African marigold, um, and that's called vanilla. Um, so there's this bed next year will be interesting. It is for spring. It's a, going to be a mixed planting. When you say so next year, of, do you mean do you mean 2021? Well, I'm sorry. 2021. I do. Right? I do. No, okay. I mean 2021. So yeah. coming this I should, year. Um, yeah, recognize it's it's just in. A, three or four weeks, um, <laughs> we will be planting a mixed planting. So we're foregoing the rows and we're gonna um, mix things up and plant um, kale and pansies and a soft mixed tapestry for spring. So I hope I hope you'll come over and, and uh, But have this a look. is where I look at this and I say, oh, that's way too neat for anything that I'm doing in my yard, but uh, that's okay. I, I, I get it. I, I completely it's, it's understand. It's not your yard. Yeah, and here's, here's another, <laughs> what have we got here, uh, Lisa? Ooh. That is a, an heirloom tomato display, and we've planted that with a, a large zinnia um, called Envy. Um, and I believe there was an upright basil, um, ever, emerald everleaf basil, um, which just keeps on uh, producing foliage. Um, which which basil and is that? Uh, emerald everleaf basil, which again is a Pan American um, product. They're breeding and uh, emerald everleaf basil okay. um you know it's um disease resistant and um a, a plant that um is you know so prolific in the garden it was I think, a two foot tall plant i think what's um, interesting was, you've got uh, so plants so close to the tomatoes i yeah. think some people would say yeah. oh no you can't do that they need more air totally <clears throat> totally. And they do. And so when I'm planning some of these beds, I, I'm thinking about how this is going to look when the tomato is um, a foot tall. And we need to plant things in sort of a different way, especially in some of these larger display beds like this bed is. Um, I think, you know, as these plants grow, um, this is where the volunteers would have in a normal year been able to deadhead and nip the zinnia back away from the tomatoes. Um, we have lots of production regardless. Um, and this year, the tomatoes are going to be, it's going to be really fun. We're going to have tomatoes on one side of the path that are heirloom tomatoes, and the other side of the path will be um, uh, hybrid tomatoes. Um, I have a list of those, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to plant um, uh, Pan Am uh, Marzana, uh, Midnight Snack, and Candyland Red um, ah. as the hybrid tomatoes. And then, you know, the whole full slate of heirloom tomatoes, which is something to celebrate, really. Um, one of every color, every shape, every type. Wow. Um, black, yellow, um, green, uh, Dijonalese Golden Girl, which is a beautiful orange uh, plum tomato. Um, lots of different 
um, ox heart tomatoes. So that's always something that's exciting to look forward to for August. Um, I'm looking at uh, a comment from Bruce Bruce. He says, that cloud looks like a dog head. Bruce, focus. Focus on the plants, okay? Focus. We're talking about the plants, not the dog talking head. Talking tomatoes, the... Bruce. All right. Um, and speaking of fruits and vegetables, especially fruits here, what what have we got? I, and I'm sorry, I'm I, I I your 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 buddy at the at the garden sent me these, and I realized that I hadn't tried them out on you. So you're you're seeing these uh, probably for the first time right now, Lisa. Yes, you know, and my I can't clear my screen. I see myself in the mirror, uh -oh. so I oh, am no. thinking that I see one little leaf on the side, and I think that's a fig. Yes. Um. So yeah, it's like we have an amazing, yeah, amazing collection of figs that we grow in containers because many of them are not um, tolerant to our cold weather in Chicago, our cold winters. Um, but I we have a collection that is you know, 15 or 16 different fig cultivars, which is um, amazing. Um, this is the small space garden. Um, and you can see in the distance, we have um, some peas uh, climbing up and probably now by summer, it's beans uh, climbing up on those two tours behind the fig plant. Um, mm -hmm. Figs are a really fun, bold foliage landscape plant. They're fun to have out in containers. Um, I've got one cultivar, Chicago Hardy, that does stay out for the winter, but I haven't seen any production on it because um, it just, by the time I cut it back after the winter, it just takes so long for it to regrow and it just doesn't produce in our shorter season. Yeah, they're um, tough. That's a, they're, it's they tough. are and, tough. And a lot of people try, which is so fun to watch people, you know, yep. manipulating their plant and they bring it indoors or they shelter it or they, they, they just work really hard. You know, I would love to get an avocado out of my avocado plant, which is, you know, seven yeah. feet tall, but that's not going to happen either. Yeah. So, all right, let's yeah. do one more here. And uh, this uh, looks like uh, one of your um, okra. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous yeah, okra is... plant. Yeah, beautiful uh, red burgundy okra, which is an heirloom okra. Um, it's related to hibiscus, and you can see that gorgeous flower yep. there. It's one of the most ornamental plants in the garden. It's a very unique plant to eat um, and to use. I have made all kinds of crafting projects. It's a great dried flower. Um, it's a plant that we can really um, credit um, African Americans for bringing to this country, and it's a beautiful, um, a beautiful plant that we like to grow. I, I think I had six or eight cultivars of uh, okra last year, and I believe we have okra in the entrance bed um, for summer, um, in late May, um, at the Regenstein Fruit and Vegetable Garden. Yeah, uh, uh, okra is a plant that I think is is really beautiful. Uh, am I likely to cook it? Eh, maybe. <laughs> but it is a beautiful. Well, uh, we, we've got some okra yeah. seed seed head here. Um, they're delightful when they dry out. Mm -hmm. They're very ornamental. It's really really cool stuff. Yeah, and and Lisa, yeah. I think you've used them in wreaths at the garden. I have. I if you slit the seed pod with a box cutter or a scissors or a knife. Um, it will peel open and expose the seed and it dries to this beautiful um, brown and white pod um, and they're they're spectacular um, and actually I think I still have that in my garage somewhere or in my basement um, and if the mice haven't gotten to it yet but it's um, it, I made a big wreath out of all the okra you know okra is also called ladies fingers and so that's the ideal size to harvest okra for eating um, ah. it has it's very 
it has a mucilaginous quality when we cook it into gumbos and stews. And so it's sought after for those um, characteristics. But if it becomes mm -hmm. overgrown in your garden, clip the whole seed head off and use it in your Thanksgiving Day arrangement or, um, you know, slit the seed pods and dry it that way. So it's yeah. a very architectural plant. I, I think it's a beautiful plant that I northerners don't um, grow very often and it adds a lot to our garden. Um, there are smaller cultivars too um, that are, are, you know, on the marketplace. So read carefully as you're perusing seed catalogs this yeah. year. All right, uh, we have just a few minutes left. So uh, for pr some practical advice for folks <clears throat> living in the Midwest uh, who are looking out, it's the last day of February today. So we think March Yay. is March uh, as growing season, but really uh, in terms of growing season, it's mostly indoor growing season right now, isn't it? It is, it's indoor growing season. And so it's um, almost time to start tomatoes, a few more weeks, I think, before you start tomatoes. I like to plant my tomatoes out about June 7th, so pretty late. Um, and the nighttime temperatures have really moderated and I can trust the fact that things aren't gonna go below 55 degrees at night. And that's what tomato tomatoes like. And so if we back out of the garden math um, and figure tomatoes are planted out at eight weeks starts, so that would be, you know, all of April and May would be, um, they would be growing. They can start to harden off mid-May, um, be brought in and outside. Um, but that puts mm -hmm. us at, at the end of, end of uh, March, early April to start those seeds inside. Yeah. We plant tomatoes at eight week starts. So that's sort of a long way of, of working through that garden math problem. If I was starting seeds in the basement, which I should be doing right now, um, I would be planting <laughs> some of the small salad greens. <clears throat> it's something interesting. There are so many really nutritious, interesting plants like vit <clears throat> or corn salad. Um, mosh yeah, is beige. another name for that. Mosh, yeah. Exactly. Um, tatsoi, um, mustards, um, some of the things you can't find in grocery stores. Don't you want to eat Mizuna. those things? I mean, it's so easy. Yeah. Mizuna, delicious. Um, I have Mizuna. my favorite lettuce, uh, Black Seeded Simpson, which is just a wonderful um, lettuce. It's very early producing. Um, and so I would um, uh, grab a pack of Black Seeded Simpson. It's an open pollinated lettuce. It adds great interest in the garden, chartreuse color. Um, lettuces generally can be multi-sowed, so you have a, a whole bowl of lettuce, or they could be um, grown in individual cell packs and then transplanted to um, grow just a head, a single head of lettuce. Um, this is a 40 or 50 day crop. Um, <clears throat> if you read the back of the pack, it says 40 days to maturity. Uh, make sure to check the expiration date on seed packets. Although different varieties have different uh, viabilities. So seeds last for a, um, a length of time if they're stored properly. Uh, tomatoes mm -hmm. can last for um, six years or so if they're stored properly. Um, onion, parsnip, lettuce, those would be shorter um, lived um, seeds. And you might want to start with a fresh pack. And uh, before we let you go, the other question I will ask, and I think I already know the answer to this one, is, uh, you know, obviously we start seeds indoors. In terms of your soil, I'm going to guess you're going to tell people, leave it alone for the moment uh, and just let Mother Nature do her thing. Outside. Outside. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think there's a little bit of cleanup, you know, um, certainly that can be done. Um, we can make things worse we can exacerbate problems in the soil, compaction, um, some of those 
those things if we step on soil now when it's so wet. So do wait. Um, you can tiptoe around. You know, your arm was two feet in, so you can certainly reach to weed. Um, the key with weeding is early and often. So as soon as you see those weeds start to pop up, get get after that. Um, but I would wait yeah. to do bed prep. And that's why we really um, we, we teach that fall bed prep is just the way to go. Things are ready for you in the spring when you come to the vegetable garden. Um, but um, once once things warm up, and hopefully they will, um, about second week in April, we'll be planting both direct sowing in the garden as mm -hmm. well as transplanting. Well, I think it's important to tell people, uh, especially those in our area who are watching us, um, that uh, we're still in the Midwest. It's still March 1st. All right, which means we've got a lot of time to go, and and we get all especially in the last couple of weeks because we had all that snow, we had brutal cold. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and as folks yeah. in other parts of the country know, all the way down to Texas, I was looking at the map. We'll be talking to meteorologist Rick DeMaio all the way into Mexico. Some of that cold yeah. weather went went down there, um, and and so people get antsy and they say, "Oh, I got to get out and garden." And as you said, you can do more damage to your soil. By, by tromping around on it. And once you compact it, boy, it's really hard to uncompact soil, isn't it? It's true. Absolutely. It's it's hard to undo those, those you know, bad habits. And so um, it's possible to grow a few things in containers and it's possible to start, you know, it's all about the right timing for vegetable gardening, as I think I keep saying. Yeah. Um, so you know, radish and spinach would be those that would be first direct sown in the vegetable garden. And you can do that right along the edge. So you're not clamoring into the mm -hmm. middle of your garden. You can plant a row of radish, yeah. you know, once a week or something um, beginning at the end of March. Um, spinach and radish germinate at 38 degree soils. So that's no problem. Mm -hmm. Go for it. Um, and then add, you know, it's all about frost tolerance. And I think in that class, I'll give you a variety list of um, the best varieties. They're regionally adapted to um, withstand different temperatures. So it's all about choosing the right cultivar um, and then picking the right time. And so if you choose frost tolerant plants, you'll have better success. Um, the thin leafed plants, carrot, um, that fine foliage, um, Swiss chard, um, lettuce, you need to wait a little bit longer, almost to, till May 1st for those uh, types of plants are not quite as frost tolerant as some of the others. Um, and a dip below into that, you know, 28 degree range and you can lose some of those early spring vegetable starts. Um, so it's, it's important. Know, you, potatoes too. Wait, yeah. wait yeah. for potatoes until, wait. you know, May first is typically what I say for potatoes. Actually, I uh, uh, I I had some potatoes that I did not harvest, and one of the things I've uh, uh, seen over the years is sometimes you'll get the crop come back the next year, and so I I'm cheating a little bit just to see if I can get some of those tomatoes, <laughs> or I'm sorry, not tomatoes, potatoes. Yeah. Uh, to, Hopefully the to, soil's to, not too wet. Yeah. For well, them. unless they just all rotted, in which case I start over again. Uh, potatoes. Potatoes have all kinds of disease issues, and so I think cl the cleanup of potato the, from prior years is very, very important oh, so great. that your whole new crop <laughs> so, isn't taken down. I think that's part of the problem uh, oh, of well. potato through history. Yeah. <laughs> Although I did have success a couple of years ago where, where uh, I, I, I missed them. I missed some of the extra potatoes. Yeah. 
Uh, and they came up and it was a yeah. fabulous crop. And I was like, okay, good. yeah. So I didn't, well, I didn't lucky. have those issues. Yeah, I, I am lucky. So, all right. So I'll get rid of the other ones. Lisa Hilgenberg, thank you so much. Go to my website, mikenovak.net, or you can go to chicagobotanic.org uh, slash adult underscore education and you can find it. Or I've got the link right to Lisa's class on April 3rd, Organic Vegetable Garden. In spring, uh, um, you it, sign up now is what I would say, and uh, good luck this year. Uh, sign I'm up waiting, early. Waiting to see uh, what happens with uh, 2021. I think it's going to be a fabulous year. Thank you so much, Mike and Peggy. It's great to be with you, and we'll see you at the Botanic Garden. You betcha. All great. right. Uh, Thank it's, you. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're going to be right back with uh, fungi and other non-meat edibles. When I'm with an older tree you know, and there's just something about it that draws you to it, as similar to the ocean, draws you to it. And when I see a big tree and I'm going to climb it, I enjoy that moment and I'll give the tree a big old hug. My name's Chase Ferris. I work out of the Clackamas office just outside Portland, Oregon. I've been with Bartlett Tree Experts since October of 2016 and I'm a climber. I was kind of surprised and taken back by the, the quality of equipment and the amount of effort that goes into keeping everyone safe and keeping the jobs productive and making sure that you are progressing every day. And I enjoy that because I like to learn. I like the Raptor and we, we use it quite a bit out on the West Coast. Our trees are pretty tall and the, the Raptor is great for saving energy, allowing you to get into the canopy with minimal physical exertion so that you're fresh and ready to climb and do what you need to do you know, when you're 65, 70 feet up or higher. So at my office, I feel like you could take just about anyone, put a crew together and send them out to a job and have it be successful. And that has to do with trusting the people you work with, feeling safe around them and knowing their strengths and weaknesses. Every tree needs a champion. You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collective Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sip-saw of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn, serene. And welcome back to the show. I can see uh, our next guest. Uh, she's waiting there in the wings, and she's even dancing to the music. Uh, just calm down there, Elizabeth. Calm down. We'll be right with you. She, 
in just a second. Uh, the Evanston Environmental Association's Wild and Scenic Film Festival goes virtual this March, so you can attend from the comfort of your home. This year's films include the story of the first African-American male to complete the Triple Crown of Hiking, Last week, we determined that was the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Trail in the Rockies, and the Pacific blah, blah. Crest Trail. <laughs> Crest. Pacific we'll Crest Trail. Pacific Crest Trail. Um, also, you'll see how church forests in Ethiopia protect the biodiversity of old-growth forests, and you'll see the story of one community's fight to keep an oil refinery closed after an explosion. Now, this special event happens on two nights in March, the 19th and the 26th, 6.30 to 9 p.m. Tickets are available starting at 10 bucks. All proceeds support the Evanston Ecology Center. Good friends of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And we're happy to be good friends uh, of theirs, too. For more information and to register, visit in, uh, evanstonenvironment.org slash filmfest. And I say environment environment that way elizabeth alfano because that's my impression of bill curtis environment <laughs> okay it's a good start i like it i see where you're going with that environment uh i'm just gonna good have morning. him uh have him good come morning. on the show someday and just say that all the for for mm -hmm. half an hour environment i've interviewed him actually he's a, he's an interesting he's an yeah. interesting cat uh you know, he's like got one foot in the climate change world and he's got one foot out of it. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, you're, you're, you're yeah. that way because he's raising beef and he's doing it uh, uh, grass fed beef. So, as you say, he's kind of splitting the difference uh, right now. So it, yeah. it, that's 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 very interesting. Yeah, and I've I've had him on the show, too. So, uh, you know, Chicago guy, uh, you can't. Yes. Yeah. Every every time you turn around at an environmental meeting. Um, in Chicago, you trip over one of his voiceovers for a, a video or a film. So uh, uh, I'm jealous. I'm just saying that because I'm jealous. I, I just want, hey, all you folks doing those films, give me a holler. I'll, I can say environment, environment as well. Okay. Hey, welcome back to the show. Look who's here. It's Elizabeth Alfano, um, our friend. And, um, and she is, uh, as we discovered last time you were on the show, uh, you adopted a new name, which was the plant-based boss. Um, I don't know if you Ooh, remember I like that. It. Yeah. Oh well, then I gotta tell you, I am doubly plant-based boss today because uh, right here on the Mike Nowak show with Peggy Malecki, I am giving you breaking news that happened just about ten minutes ago. All right. <laughs> what? Oh my gosh! I've been working on this for so long, and so here I am breaking the news. VegTech, the global impact, the global vegan impact and innovation index is now live. So this is a financial tool like all indices and it tracks the list of VegTech companies and a VegTech company is defined as companies that are actively innovating to get animals out of the food supply chain and product supply chain for the benefit of the environment and environment. of course our health yep. and our healthcare system and animals and you know the list is actually sort of long so veg tech market is reflected by this veg tech index and so it's this global vegan impact and innovation index 
If you would like more information about the currently 21 companies in the index, uh, this index, again, reflecting the health and investability of VegTech, of these companies that are innovating to get animals out of the supply chain for the betterment of people, the environment, and, of course, animals. Uh, so if you want more information on that, you can go to VegTechIndex.com. So oh. much work. It's uh, up. It's live. Is that different from what I see on your uh, your program where you have the, the, the ticker tape scrolling across the top, or is that related to that? That is related to that. So in addition to the index, because we're all ADD and we like to th see things bop around and flash around, and I've got a live ticker. And so the... Um, financial ticker runs across my website and it has all 21 companies on that ticker so you can mm -hmm. see the live daily update and then I with my partner Sasha Goodman whom I could not have done this without him uh, we give a monthly report and we show the growth and health of the index and uh, talk about the changes that happen every month within this VegTech index. But if you want daily updates, that ticker is there every day on the Plant-Based Business Hour. So if you need that website, it's elizabethalfano.com slash PBH. But uh, it's all there, folks. It's all there. Yeah. Yeah, you have and you've a... got... I was, I was Go going to add, in addition to the Plant-Based Business Hour, I like your, your weekly roundup where you've got the Plant-Based Minute. <laughs> Yes, I do the plant-based business, I'm sort of busy. I do the plant-based business minute, which I break down the top three headlines each in a minute or less every week. And we're going to talk about some headlines today. We got a good one. It's not quite Bill Curtis, but it is Bill Gates. So, you know. <laughs> right. Well, wait a second. Uh, Bill Gates has a little more money than Bill Curtis. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, just uh, a tad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, just... and, and we hold that mug up because one of our listeners wants to see the mug. She loves it. I can find you the name. Oh, shoot. It's this company, and all they do is mugs like this that have beautiful animals and fields and flowers and bees and birds and and bears and things. Uh, I don't want to spill my coffee on myself. No, don't, don't do it. Especially yeah, don't do, do it on the morning. microphone. I'm so tired, uh, having pulled many all-nighters and, and to I get have... this VegTech index up. So, But I will give you this but it was worth later. It. Okay, and I have, we'll it. let you know, Sarah. <laughs> and and I we got to apologize because we make here we make her come on a Sunday morning and and she's uh, in the Pacific, uh, on the coast there. So it's two hours earlier there. So you're 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 up before uh, eight a.m. getting ready to do yep. uh, streaming live streaming here. So thank you so much for doing that. It's a uh, it's always a pleasure to have you here. So yeah, let's let's go to Bill Gates. Let's, I mean, you sent us some Bill Gates. He was on sixty minutes talking. About uh, and I and I got to tell you something. If you one of the things I did after you sent me the link to 60 Minutes, uh, and you can click on a short version of it if you go to my blog mikenovak.net and go to this week's show. Uh, I went online and I, I I went to a search engine and I typed in uh, Bill Gates on meat, and uh, the first page was filled. Uh, I'm sorry. It was filled with right-wing attacks on Bill Gates. Yes, I know, and it's I just know. and it's amazing. I it's know. just insane. It's that all and and a lot of them were uh, Twitter memes that like oh you know you put a piece of plastic on a plate. This is what Bill Gates wants us to eat, and it was just so mean spirited and kind of stupid actually. Um, that uh, but know. but I learned something that I and wasn't I wasn't aware of the backlash. 
to this. So there's there is a huge backlash to anybody who's trying to get out of meat based um, eating, isn't there? Well, you've got two things going on. You've got a backlash to Bill Gates himself. Now, it's a backlash I personally don't understand, but it's a backlash um, through the coronavirus. There was this rumor. I don't even want to talk about it because it's so, you know, not accurate. But um, a lot of people think that he somehow created coronavirus to oh, make God. money off of it. I just please. I, I know. Not it's even so, going there. Again, more it's dumb like stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's like really dopey. So, 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 but, so then anything. So sorry, Peggy. Anything Bill likes. And so if he's talking about clean energy or if he's talking about sustainable food supply system or whatever he's talking about, they're there to say like eating plastic or, you know, doing Johnny yeah. Jacks is wrong, whatever they're saying. So <laughs> whatever, you know, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so Bill Gates, he's on 60 Minutes, which, you know, I still like as a show. I mean, I don't watch it that much, but, you know, it's been around for a long time. Uh, it is it still very popular job. and very influential. Yes. So if you're on 60 Minutes Absolutely. with uh, Anderson Cooper, yeah, you're yeah. doing something right. Right. And which is why I love this, because Bill Gates is not a perfect messenger here, not just because he's controversial unnecessarily, but also because he himself like understands it, but he doesn't totally walk the talk. So, you know, he takes Anderson Cooper to a burger bar to talk about let's pull out the meat and think about the environment. So, you know, he himself is not perfect. And I love that because he represents, you know, not his gazillions, but his imperfection represents the rest of us because who walks through this life perfectly? Um, you know, so a lot of people are reducing their meat intake and they're getting to meatless Mondays and this kind of thing, but you know, they're not drawing a hard and fast line. So I thought in that way, he was a very approachable messenger, which I thought was, you know, fine and fun. So he was talking about um, some of the destructive qualities of animal agriculture on the environment and that long-term impact. He was also talking about some of the innovations that are coming. Again, we're talking about veg tech, mm -hmm. you know, the innovations in this space to get animals out of the supply chain for pe the betterment of people, the planet and animals. And one of the companies that he talked about that are so innovative are right in Chicago. I love Thomas Jonas, the CEO of Nature's Find. They're in back of the yards, Chicago, Southside. They do an incredible job of creating food from microbes. I'll let you digest that for a second, then I'll go into detail if you want. Well, uh, Fermented microbes. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, uh, biomass fermentation from fermented microbes. Well, I, I, I put a, a quote up here on the blog. Um, it, it's a company that develops microbe-based products for meat substitutes founded in 2012, based in Chicago. And, and believe me, I, you have to come on our show from the West Coast to tell me about the, sh <laughs> the companies in Chicago that are doing uh, things like this. I wasn't aware of this. Yeah. Uh, the company has been funded by a series of federal agencies in the United States, the United, the National Science Foundation, the Department of Agriculture, Department of Ag. They're not exactly left-wing crazies. Um, Environmental Protection no. Agency, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, which was investigating microbes in Yellowstone in the 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 pools there. I mean, it's it's nuts how this all came to be. It's colossal. Yeah. So Thomas was working with NASA. And in doing this research project in the pools of Yellowstone, I believe, he discovered these microbes and decided, oh, this 
is really uh, revolutionary. And here's why. I'm grossly paraphrasing, but if you imagine that you have a cow and that cow is going to produce food in about a year and a half, and in that year and a half, you know, you're giving it land, you're giving it water, you're giving it time, you're cutting down trees to grow grains. Now, these trees usually would pull carbon from the air, right, which would be a good thing for us as we worry about climate change, but they can't do that because we've cut them down and we've grown grains. Now, these grains have fiber and they have protein, everything we need. Do we give these grains to people? No, we give them to animals and then animals take time water, land. And then so this, you have this inefficiency going on. Now he can create by fermenting microbes, he can create the same amount of meat as a cow makes in a year and a half in four hours. So you're talking about getting rid of food insecurity. You're talking about not wasting land, water, and time. So these resources, which are going to become very expensive as climate change increases mm -hmm. and you have less arable land. So not only are we getting more people on the planet, 7.6 billion going to 9.8 billion, according to um, the UN uh, by 2050. So you're getting a third more people on the planet but you're not getting more land and you're gonna not get more water. In addition, you're losing land because of climate change. There's less arable, yeah. being farmable land. So you think, well, hey, I don't have to worry about the planet and people as gross generalization here because I can make the same amount of food in four hours that I used to make the same in an hour in a year value. and a half. Yes, yes, because microbes very high in protein. Let me give a huge clarification here. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. <laughs> Animals do not create protein. I know you've been fed to think that protein comes from animals. It does not. Humans and animals do not create protein. They both get their protein from plants or microbes. Only plants or microbes on the planet create, actually make the protein. Now you can get protein by eating plants or you can get protein by eating the animal that ate the plant. But who wants to do the middleman because it's so wasteful in time water? Well, you know, you know in the same way that uh, uh, um, animals get energy from the sun, it's via plants. Because uh, mm -hmm. of course, the, yes. the plants yeah. are the ones that are, are making that happen. Flat. You know, this yes. is interesting. I want to. Uh, I found this. Uh, this is a Wikipedia entry about this. Um, the uh, uh, the CSO co-founder and CSO Mark Kozabal. Is that how you pronounce his name? Do you know? Uh, he was on a NASA-funded okay. extreme environment study of life that uncovered the FY protein derived right. from a microbe. Yeah. Okay. And here's the microbe is Fusarium strain Flavolapsus, mm -hmm. uh, or Lapis, rather, Flavolapis. And when I hear Fusarium, I think plant disease. And a lot of people do because Fusarium wilt mm -hmm. is, a, is, a, is a disease yeah. of, of, of the, yeah, for, for your plants. And it, it, it can attack uh, certain uh, things in your garden. But in this case, um, it was found in the geothermal springs in the Yellowstone supervolcano. The purpose of the NASA-funded study was to prepare to send a space probe to search for life on other planets. And while still a postdoctoral researcher <laughs> in 2012, Kozabal determined that the aso, uh, acidophilic fungus, originally dubbed MK7, <laughs> Uh, could be converted into a lipid that could be converted into biodiesel. So they started with biodiesel, and that and then eventually they discovered it could be ingested as well. It, it become a food. I mean, this is this is science fiction stuff. 
It's so awesome. It reminds me a little bit of Buckminster Fuller, and I'm going to botch this quote, but he said <laughs> something like, you know, why are we trying to find life on other planets? Because we're still here on Spaceship Earth, and there's so much to discover. You know, who would have thought that we would find this in the pools of Yellowstone? Yeah. And it is this fungus, this FY fungus, that that's the name of the company Nature's Find. It's F-Y-N-D. Well, it's funny right. that you should mention that because we just did a yeah. post on our Facebook page uh, and it was... I'm, I'm looking for it now. I've got it. Neil deGrasse Tyson okay. apparently said as well, and maybe he was quoting oh, yeah. Buckminster Fuller, if you I have the him. power to turn another planet into Earth, then you have the power to turn Earth back <laughs> into Earth. Yes, uh, right. He's all right. Wonderful. I mean, yes. I, I look at all these Start folks... Start your are, own backyard. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, all right. the folks that are saying, oh, we should colonize Mars, well, you know, let's fix the planet first, okay? Okay, uh, we can mess up another planet very easily. Yeah. Uh, we're already leaving space junk on Mars. Boy, that's that's got to be good for the planet. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, here we are, uh, and uh, you know, dealing with climate change and and power outages in Texas on our own planet. I so, see Peggy raising her hand. Yes, Peggy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to go back to Nature's Find for sure. Listeners who haven't watch their videos etc um you know it's it, we're not talking about they're not growing mushrooms they're growing this this um microbes. like big sheets these big sheets of microbes uh, into something that is then producible into product Good point. yeah yes let me um talk about that a little bit if you don't mind and of course i'm i'm not uh, i don't work at nature's find but i have interviewed yeah. thomas jonas on the plant-based business hour elizabethalfano.com slash pbh uh, if you want more information about um, Thomas and the, and the company, but yes, that's right. So basically these microbes, they can grow in any direction you want. So they give them some structure and they can do what's called biomass fermentation. So they grow them in these huge sheets mm -hmm. if they want to do that. And then they can have whole cuts of meat. So that's one way to do mm -hmm. it. But they also have, as you saw in 60 Minutes with Bill Gates and Anderson Cooper eating the nature's fine yogurt, they also just have the keep it at the ingredients level don't have to necessarily grow it in big sheets and then you can um, put the components which are very high in protein into things like mm. yogurt and milk and yeah. they're doing that full range of products that's what's so amazing uh, mm -hmm. they've got chicken and sausage I don't want to you know spoiler alert for them because they're still very much pre-market they had a, a couple items that were for sale on the website around the 60 minutes breaking news yeah. but um, and, you know, and they still sold out instantly immediately yeah, yeah immediately yeah. sure and I I've been to the the factory. I hate to even call. I don't know what you'd call. It. I've been to the lab. Um, I've been to the test kitchen, and I've tried it all—the yeah. sausage and chicken—and just it's really wonderful. It's great. And, and it's weird that we have to and call it's here it in Chicago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know. In fact, Chicago has two veg tech companies. So, you know, how cool is that? You think this stuff might all be in San Francisco, but there's also back of the yards, algae sciences, which is using algae as a protein to create various plant-based foods. They're also working on cellular agriculture. They're also working on a plant-based heme. A lot of meat eaters might recognize the word heme. It's what a lot of meat eaters say makes meat meat. And so back of the yards, algae sciences has cracked the code for a plant-based heme. And kind for of a for a while, that was that was controversial. Uh, the heme when it when it was first uh, revealed that that was uh, the uh, the ingredient that was producing this taste. Uh, some folks had had issues with it. I was doing some deep diving the other day, and it, it was it, it odd. umami taste. 
Yes, right. That's that's what gives meat its umami taste. And you were so, also. Um, oh, I was just going to say you were also talking about another uh, company called Ingredient, which is also yes in the Chicago oh, and area. They are up to some wonderful stuff. So Ingredient, in fact, is opening a state-of-the-art plant. Now they're. Pl plant isn't in Chicago, but they're opening that in Nebraska, and it's a complete plant-based protein dedicated plant, new state-of-the-art facility. They're being very aggressive and very innovative in bringing more plant-based proteins, they're a supply company, more plant-based proteins to the marketplace because the consumer demand for plant-based goods way outweighs the supply. So more companies are trying to meet demand, and therefore these companies need plant-based proteins. And they're doing, you know, they're starting with pea protein. It's the most accessible, you know, easiest to scale, et cetera. But there's going to be other novel proteins coming down the pipeline. So Ingredient, another Chicago company, of course, Chicago, always a foodie city, uh, is really a major player in plant-based protein yeah. supply. Interesting you should say that, though, because this is the part of the country where you're likely to find some resistance to this. Um, and, uh, uh, yes. But... Yes and no. So I don't know if you know this, but Chicago also has the world headquarters for the Vegan Museum. And the Vegan Museum um, notes the history of veganism and vegetarianism in the United States. And Chicago plays a major role in veganism in the United States because when the World's Fair happened in 1893, the Vegan Society, which originally started in the UK and then kind of had a home in Philadelphia, I think, first... But no one really knew about them, if you will. And then they came to Chicago for the 1893 World's Fair and really kind of that was the stake in the ground for vegetarianism. And I use the word vegetarian because the word vegan hadn't been coined until 1944. That's when vegetarianism took hold in the U.S., basically starting its foothold in Chicago. Um, and a lot of other things have happened in Chicago to make that an, an important city for vegan and vegetarianism, like the Vegetarian Times launched in the 70s in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So, you know, come on now, give us our vegan <laughs> vegetarian props there, Mike. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I got to pop something up here um, that uh, uh, you might appreciate and you might not uh, uh, appreciate. So this is uh, you. Uh, oh, gosh. Oh, <laughs> help me. Oh, Lord. This isn't fair because I've almost pulled an all-nighter to get VegTech, the Vegan Global Impact and Innovation Index, out. So I'm so tired today. There, I don't look tired. It's not fair. Uh, no, you look fine. And that was uh, when you, you were on our, our, our holiday show when we did uh, It's a Wonderful Slice of It's a Wonderful Life. You were sort of the intro act to that. But uh, but so I will just move on to this. Tell us about Barbecue oh. with a V. Oh, how I love Barbecue. In fact, I wasn't sure if you were going to have that picture or not. So I brought some of my own. I love Barbecue. Okay, so this you know, we talk about burgers, 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 but I am so thrilled that I have gotten my hands on pulled pork barbecue. Mm -hmm. It is a complete plant-based pork, you know, pulled barbecue product. And I'm so excited to have it because I'm, I'm not that I'm sick of burgers. It's just that, you know, I'm all about veg tech, global vegan innovation. Mm -hmm. So I want to see more products and, and not just for me, but if you're ever going to reach the demand that is out there from consumers, flexitarians trying to get rid of the meat and work in more veggies. It's not just me that thinks this way. That's where all the demand's coming from is the flexitarians. They need more than just burgers. They need sausages and they need tacos that has pulled pork. They need, you know, pulled pork sandwiches, a classic barbecue sandwich. As we start to think about spring, are we starting to think about spring? Sandwich? We are. Oh, we are yeah. a little bit. Yeah. 
Okay. So, so barbecue out of North Carolina, but they are my go-to now. I'm having this for dinner all the time. I'm having, you know, and, pulled and pork what tacos. Is the, what is, what is the base? Is this a, 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 um, a pea based or, a, or what, what's the base on it? Yes. So the base is, I want to just, just double check myself because I'm so tired. Yes. Soybean textured wheat. So it says soy and wheat protein. Again, you know, all your protein's going to come from mm -hmm. um, plants. So we were talking earlier about how grains, you know, have fiber and protein, and then we go ahead and yeah. give that to animals instead of people. So yes, it has um, soy and wheat protein and um, sweet potatoes. Let me just read sweet potatoes, pureed <laughs> apple cider, vinegar. I mean, so molasses, good yeah. stuff. You, you recall and, your and in, in the barbecue sweet. sauce, yeah. Can, can, yes, I, can I mention, Sorry, can I so mention the site Peggy. that you talk about? Shopveggie.com? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So, yes, for the, right, why talk about all this food if you can't get it? Yeah, if you want to do uh, your, uh, your product placement here, uh, hold on, let me pop that up. There we go. There you go. Where's uh, you had the bag with you? Oh, that's the. Oh, you lost. I do have the bag. Yes. So, um, if you want to go to shopveggie.com, this is available all across the United up. States. And yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I guess you're saying product placement, but really, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to share with people that the vegan and vegetarian, uh, plant-based way of living is way beyond just burgers. We've moved beyond yeah. burgers. And so you're going to see a lot of that this year as I talk, I'm still talking 2021 predictions. You're going to yeah. see plant-based bacon. And oat milk. You're going to see whole cuts of, yes, oat milk, which Oatly is going to go to IPO, which is yes. going to put them on the public market, which is going to put them on VegTech, the global vegan impact and innovation index. Which we so, will see on yeah. your site scrolling across the screen. And uh... yes, Yes, you will. Yes, uh, you will. So it's been already a very busy year for this. The next, market. the next step is uh, because, and I started to to say this earlier, and we just have like a minute left. But the, I started to say this earlier is that we still couch everything in terms of it's chicken or it's beef. Uh, they need it, their own names because uh, you're we're still try, you're, you know, catering to the the meat eater way of framing things. Uh, what if you call it something else? What if you just come up with its own title? Maybe at some point, some uh, brilliant marketer will do that, and then we'll stop saying, "Well, it's, it, this is chicken, but it's vegan chicken or whatever." You know, you have to have its own name because it's words go words there. are important. Words are important. It's going to go there. I mean, I think what's going to happen first is that you're going to see the grocery store change from the meat aisle to the protein aisle. And they're going to put plant-based protein and, and your, you know, what you typically think of as protein, which is meat. Um, you're, they're going to put those side by side. And then people are going to stop thinking about it as, oh, this is an analog to meat. They're going to start thinking about it. Oh, it's its own thing. It's right here in the aisle where I get all my food. And they're just going to start thinking about it differently. And I think that terminology is going to start in the grocery store. I think you're right. And, and the protein aisle is probably where it's going to start. Mm -hmm. There we go. Elizabeth Alfano, that's a great way to finish it. Thank you so much for being here. You can go to ElizabethAlfano.com. Don't forget, it's E-L-Y-S-A-B-E-T-H, uh, Alfano. And uh, we'll have you back uh, again in the not-too-distant. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad you do this on Sundays. I know how busy you are. And I know how tired you are. So we <laughs> This really... week was particularly, I pulled a couple all-nighters. So this week was a, a particularly tough. But, you but, know, I, but I congratulations on the launch of VegTech Index. Yeah, that's fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. All thank right. you. And you heard it here on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. All right. Meteorologist Rick DeMaio is next. Uh, Elizabeth, we'll wave goodbye. We'll see you soon. Bye, everybody.
You can help slow climate change in 2021 by composting. And you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. At Sika Salmon Shares, we take pride in being a seafood company that's a little different. In fact, 10 seasons ago, our motto was we do salmon differently. Nowadays, we harvest 15 species of wild-caught Alaskan fish, but still call ourselves Sika Salmon Shares because, well, we're a little different. Our difference starts with our fleet of fishermen Hello. who own a slice of the company mm. and are paid above industry average. They deliver fish to our docks in about half the time as other fishermen, which means higher quality of fish for you. And we never buy our fish from large processors where we don't know how each fish was caught or handled, like most other companies do. Another difference is our fish plant, which we own too. Our plant freezes fish about twice as cold and twice as fast as the other guys. This produces unparalleled quality at a cellular level. Ooh. Our difference extends to you too. By joining our community, you band together with thousands of other people who want to make a difference in the way that their food is produced. This allows our fishermen to harvest fish just for you, with the respect, thought, and care that the fish, the ocean, and you deserve. So, be a little different. Join us at SitkaSalmonShares.com. At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. And then Peggy, who was drinking from her coffee, says... The Evanston Environmental Association's Wild and Scenic Film Festival goes virtual this March, and you can be there from your home. This year's films include the story of the first African-American male to complete the Triple Crown of Hiking, which we talked about before. Yep. How we talk about it every week now. Yes. Uh yes. How church forests in Ethiopia protect the biodiversity of old-growth forests, and a community effort to keep an oil refinery closed after an explosion. The festival happens from 6.30 to 9 p.m. on March 19th and 26th, and tickets are available starting at just $10. Now, all proceeds from the festival support the operations and programming of the Evanston, of the Evanston Ecology Center. So for more info and to register, visit evanstonenvironment.org. Environment. I'm not seeing. Environment. This is this is scary. I'm not seeing Rick, uh, and I just texted Uh-oh. him and I said, "Hey, he did send us some new stuff." I know we've done our homework. We've got uh, uh, all of our. No, but home- we, we, we got every- some more stuff this morning. Well, I didn't see that. It's not. You think I'm going to look at anything uh, before our the show when I'm? Uh, let, me, <laughs> let me try. Um. Oh, let me respond here to this. Oh, good. I think I can reply. I'm texting him. All right. That's good. Oh, yeah. He sent a bunch of different maps here. Holy smoke. Um, and uh, 
text him and if he tell him I sent a new link in case the one he was using just now didn't work. Uh, let me go back here. Wait, oh, there he is. We'll see. Okay. Um, I see the, his ceiling. Um, hey, Rick. Uh, I see your ceiling. Are you with us, dude? Everybody, let's let's take a look at Rick's ceiling. There he is. There he is. <laughs> um, kind of uh, frozen. Tell him. Uh, I think he's frozen. He needs to relink in. Do 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 do. There he there is. There he is. Howdy. I came and went. Yeah. <laughs> so, as as they like, say, kind of like the snow. Yeah, exactly yeah. like the snow. It's wow. Gone too fast, if you ask me. Uh oh. Why? Were you still out there uh, skiing? Yeah, I got about eight runs in, and all of a sudden it got a little warm, and then it got cold, and it got crusty, and, and because it was one of those. Grass? Uh, what's that, Peg? Then you were skiing on the grass and the mud. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't very pleasant. I mean, you couldn't get any traction. Um, so you know, this was a real dry snow to begin with. So because it was dry, when it started to um, uh, melt, you had this like very flaky uh, nature to the the, the 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 snowflakes, and then they became like little icicles or crystals, um, and then it got packed down, and it wasn't it wasn't very useful. So if it would have been a wet snow that melted and then refroze, you can get some nice tracks in, but it just wasn't the right consistency. Um, so, yeah, I kind of, um, I think I ended my cross country ski season about a week ago. And with that much snow on ground, I was hoping for it to be a little bit longer, but you know, it, um, it is it, what it is, right? It's the end of February. It melted quickly, man. I mean, a week, basically, uh, it's been sort of whiplash around here. We had this yeah. winter that started out so warm for three months, basically, and then we hit this two and a half week period that is just brutal. And as yeah. and 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 you said in the email, don't get you started on Texas, uh, but we might have to. Uh, but at any rate, it's brutal here, and it's cold, and it's snow, and then suddenly in a week. It's almost, in my front yard, most of those piles have melted, and I've got daffodils yeah. coming up right now. It yeah. was 54 yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think I, I saw some daffodils as well um, in my backyard here. But again, you got to remember, this was a very dry, fluffy snow on dry, fluffy snow on dry, fluffy snow. So it was going to melt pretty quickly. Uh, but again, we've also had a lot of sunshine, and the sunshine – Mm -hmm. Or the amount of radiation we get this time of the year is equal to about the 12th or 13th of October. Right. When you can hmm. easily get up to about, you know, 61, maybe 62 degrees. You know, Peg mentioned we got up to 54 yesterday, and that was with a lot of snow cover. That's because the wind was coming out of the south. Um, and if you drive about 50 miles south of Chicago, just south of Kankakee, um, there's no snow. I mean, St. Wow. Louis made it into the mid-60s two days in a row. Um, and we've seen this before. We've seen rapid, you know, melt-offs of snow um, in late February because you can do it in late February. The one good thing um, is that it didn't come with a lot of rain, which would have produced some flooding and then some runoff. Um, I have to say, guys, I think this is going to be a fantastic spring for um, any sort of perennials because before – we got uh, real cold. We had some really decent snow, which meant that the ground temperatures were probably fairly well insulated. 
And I guarantee if you would have stuck a thermometer in the ground about maybe four inches down below the surface, it probably would have still been, you know, maybe 31 degrees. Um, if you remember, Mike, I don't know if you remember Peg, but this was about 10 years ago. We had an incredibly cold February, a very, very cold March, and we had no snow on the ground. And the permafrost went down almost 10 inches. Yeah. Uh, and it probably mm -hmm. killed a lot of bulbs that maybe people didn't plant, you know, far enough down into the soil. But I don't think that's the case with this year. Um, so even though we got cold and even though we got a lot of snow, the snow really afforded a lot of insulation uh, to the soil. And now the fact that we've melted off in a very slow percolating, you know, stage or, or manner is a better way of saying it. Um, I think this does nothing but bode well for anything that's going to be, you know, growing just simply on, you know, sunshine and warmth of soil and groundwater over the next two to three weeks. I think you're absolutely right. I look at this, uh, and, and I will repeat something we said with Lisa Hilgenberg from the Chicago Botanic Garden earlier in the show, which is the ground's really going to be saturated, which is going to be good for some plants. Um, it's going to be very bad if you walk on it. So stay off your soils right now mm -hmm. because you're just going to compact them, let them dry out uh, a little bit. And it's interesting, uh, and my, I see this every year, especially when we have a lot of snow, if I look across the street, their snow piles were on the north side of their building. So they're not melting nearly as fast as the snow piles right. on my side because I have a southern exposure here. And that will be the case for a while. On the north side of the street or on the south side of the street, you're going to see uh, snow piles on the north side, not so much because of the angle of the sun. Um, right, right. So it's yeah, going to continue. And I made sure when I, yeah, I made sure that when I was. Um, sleepwalking last night i stayed on the sidewalk i didn't go on the mud piles or anything like that. <laughs> and were you sleepwalking in your your cross-country skis <laughs> that would have been interesting yeah. <laughs> ah, that would have been a facebook video yeah so yeah. we got oh, I, I have to say though i'd say the last time i went cross-country skiing over here in harms woods i had taken my skis off and walking on those boots is not very easy and i had an icy patch and man, I went boom, boom. Yikes. I went down in a hurry. Yeah. As we all know, those cross country ski boots are not meant for walking, except connected to your skis. But I even got an email from um, Nancy Tuckman, who is our uh, dean at the um, School of Environmental Sustainability at Loyola, <laughs> Loyola <laughs> University. Yeah. Yeah. And she lives up uh, not far from um, the Botanic Gardens. And when I sent her, I, you know, I send them, you know, information just like I send you guys um, every Saturday morning. And when I sent her my long range forecast, she said, you know what? I'm actually not looking forward to the warm weather because I've been enjoying the skiing so much <laughs> that she's been able to get out. Yeah, she's been able to get out, you know, 15 or 20 times. And I think also because, you know, we've been stuck inside. We had no snow for, you know, December and January or the first three weeks. And all of a sudden you get it and you go, wow. This is what it feels like. Plus, you can do it at, you know, five in the afternoon and it's not dark. And then all of a sudden, what Mother Nature gave to us, all of a sudden, you know, is, is taken away. And we all know the month of March is, you know, it's nice, but it's gray and it's, you know, it's yeah. kind of cool and the ground it's, is, is mushy. It's you're really, in that, you're in that in yeah, yeah, and it's really and too. Just it's waiting it's, for spring, and it's not there yet. Right, and as again, right, as right. we said earlier, it's too early. March is too early to be out in your yard gardening. 
Um, I mean, even I, I, I will even disagree with Lisa a little bit when she said you can, you know, if you're careful, you can groom your garden a little bit. I just say, ah, leave it. The leaves will take, they'll yeah. decompose as things get warmer. Don't even, don't even worry about it right now. Uh, but yeah, uh, we're in that weird, uh, Kathleen has a thing, uh, a phrase that she's used, uh, for decades. She says it's March in Chicago, which means that everybody's depressed. Everybody needs to is stir crazy. Everybody wants to get outside. And now we're adding on top of it, a pandemic where everybody's been shut in for a year and, and all, you know, I'm a little, um, concerned about getting warm weather real quick because people are going to go nuts. They're going to, they're going to want to get out there. Yeah. At least with the pandemic, you were walking around with, you know, a mask on your face for, um, you know, to keep warm. And that kind of, kind that kind of helped us out a little bit, but, um, yeah, we'll see how things go. Uh, but you know, bottom line is, you know, we're looking at winter 2021 in our rear view mirror. I mean, I, I'd said this last week, you could put a fork in it from a standpoint of any more Arctic mm-hmm. cold. Um, we're not done with polar cold, and we're certainly not done with mid-latitude cyclones. But one thing that's for sure is that when you have a pattern like this, um, you're bound to get more of storms coming in uh, basically from the Rocky Mountains and the Northern Plains. So the chances of us getting any sort of real infusion of Gulf of Mexico moisture I think is really, really difficult. It's it just it's just not going to – the pattern just doesn't want to do something like that. Um, but it's interesting to note that, um, you know, this week looks like fairly active weather uh, across the central plains. Um, another active storm system goes south of us uh, by the end of the week. So we're going to be basically on the north side of the storm track, um, the same storm track that stayed, you know, south of us back in November. It almost looks like the pattern – is going back to where it was in November. The only thing I get concerned about it with is that we still haven't seen any significant amounts of precipitation in the desert southwest or the Rocky Mountains. Um, you know, as, as much as you look at Colorado when people are skiing there, they have not had much in the way of any snow. And that's the area that um, we went into the winter season with severe drought and we're coming out of the winter season with extreme drought. Yikes. And if that's the case, um, we can end up with some really, really serious concerns um, on how that plays out in heat in the Central Plains, whether or not that moves into the Midwest, uh, but more so for them, you know, obviously wildfires. Right. Um, so even though we're thinking, you know, March here, you look at the long-term pattern um, based on what the short-term pattern didn't give us, um, and that was significant precipitation over the desert Southwest. Uh, Pacific Northwest are fine. Oregon and Washington had huge amounts of precipitation this winter. Um, we're going to probably end up with, um, I think it ends up 21.8 inches of snow here officially at O'Hare for the month of February. Uh, we'll end up with almost 35 at Midway and almost wow. nine at Rockford. Yeah, I know. A real, real, a real, real strange. Yeah, normally you would think it'd be the other way around. You had more at Rockford. You said you, know, n- you um, said nine at Rockford. That's it for the month. Yeah. Wow. That's it. Wow. They, they, they now, so got, is that all Lake got, Effect then? Oh yeah. The, I mean, there were there were two or three different little mesoscale events that went right over O'Hare, uh, but it was the Lake Effect with that last event that really boosted the totals um, at Midway Airport. Um, and again, the lakes. We went from 
3% ice on the 15th of January to 5% on the 25th to 10% on February the 15th to 40% on February 19th to 30% this past week. And part of that is due to, um, you know, not only the fact that, you know, we're warming up the ice and basically melting it, but the ice that we had along the Chicago lakefront miraculously just kind of moved to the other side of the lake. It didn't really, quote, melt. It moved to the other side of the lake, got mixed in with a lot of water, and then that obviously, you know, subsided it into the warmer lake water, and that was it. But um, the fact of the matter is we had a lot of that snow, uh, eastern Cook County, mainly due to lake effect. Yeah, so you're right about that, Vic. Oh, so uh, one of the things you sent us was about this crazy weather we had in the past three weeks, uh, including what happened in Texas. And um, you sent some really interesting articles um, uh, about how it's and if it's related to uh, global climate change. Um, perhaps, I mean, obviously we can't go through the, the whole thing, but uh, it's an SSW event. Explain to folks what an SSW event is. Uh, that's sudden stratics, that sudden stratospheric warming. So in our atmosphere, you have the troposphere, which goes from the surface up to about 15 miles. Um, in the wintertime, it's only about nine miles up. In the summertime, it's about 18 miles up, you know, depending on where you are over the equator or over the mid-latitudes. Above that, you have the stratosphere. The stratosphere goes from about average of 12 miles up to about 30. Then you have the mesosphere, the thermosphere, then you have the exosphere. So the, at the bottom of the stratosphere is where you have your planetary ozone, and that actually captures a lot of the shortwave radiation from the sun. The ultraviolet blocks it out and it warms it up. What, it, what happens every once in a while is you'll have this ring around the North Pole above the troposphere. So you have the stratosphere and the troposphere. And sometimes if the stratosphere gets too warm, it'll actually push down on the troposphere, almost like having um, a double layer of jello cake. If you remember those from back in the 70s. <laughs> those um, I haven't thought of that, jello cake that, in years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the only reason why we did it was because your mom probably bought those molds from someone who was knocking <laughs> on the door and said, like to buy these molds. I mean, I grew up in a household where we had like eight of those molds nailed to the on the wall, nailed to the uh, the, <laughs> the, the sanitest or the or the wall covering. I mean, it was just next to the avocado refrigerator. So, um, but the bottom line is. The, the, the troposphere literally gets pinched off by the warming stratosphere. And as that tropospheric ring kind of splits, one part of the split goes on one side of the globe and the other side goes to the other side of the globe. That's where we get into the polar vortex, all right? So sudden stratospheric warming events will always happen every year. You'll get this warming and, and it'll actually It'll, it'll get squeezed and it'll push out and it'll push down on the polar vortex. But once every 10 years, you'll get a really dramatic sudden stratospheric warming event. Um, and that's definitely what happened this year. If you recall, this was back in like late January, we were talking about the possibility of a polar vortex splitting. Well, it had already split and it moved into China and Russia and it was incredibly cold over North and South Korea and Japan and China 
um, for almost four or five weeks. I mean, it was monstrously cold in areas of northern China and Mongolia. I mean, I was watching it, you know, daily. And as long as it stayed over there, you were okay here in the United States. But once that began to weaken, it pushed the other part of the polar vortex. There were like two parts to it. It pushed it over Europe. Then it kind of moved back. And then when we had that huge storm over the Northeast on February 1st, the one that gave them like 30 to 35 inches, mm -hmm. it literally allowed the polar vortex that was over Northern Europe to move across the North Pole, Greenland, and then move all the way westward. It actually retrograded because what happens when the sudden stratospheric warming event occurs, the winds up at about 50,000 feet actually reverse. So what it did is it actually pushed the polar vortex west. That dropped southward over us. And then we had this pinching, which literally took it all the way down into the northern plains. Now, as mm -hmm. cold as we were here, it was much colder across Minnesota, North Dakota, eastern Montana, down into say the central plains and eventually it kind of slithered all the way down um into texas uh the only good thing about it was it didn't happen until basically the second week of february if that would have happened earlier in the year like in january remember a couple of years ago when we had a high of like minus 10 and a low of like minus 23 we would we would have had weather like that so it's not like we haven't seen these in the past they just seem to be happening with a little bit more fervor for a shorter amount of time. And we seem to be getting more of these shorter duration of very, very intense periods of cold weather. Um, sometimes they'll happen early in the year, which are induced by really strong typhoon action across the North Pacific. But I think the mm -hmm. real key to why this winter didn't really start out cold was the phenomenal warmth that was over the Northern Pacific. That blob that Peg referred to several times, that kept the jet stream far north, and we kept getting these flows of air into the Pacific Northwest and the Northern Plains, and we never got cold. And we went through literally the month of, of November and December, and even early January, with just westerly flow, westerly flow, westerly flow, and there was no Arctic air. But as soon as we started to lay down some cold and some snow, that's when the polar vortex said, I'm gonna come and visit you. <laughs> so, um, it's not like this hasn't happened in the past, and it's not like Texas hasn't been this cold in the past. They've had record cold 1899, even 1936. Believe it or not, during the, the height of the Dust Bowl, they had one of the coldest periods ever on record. But if you look at the population of Texas, Texas is now at 29 million people. 10 years ago, they were at 24 million. Before that, they were 19 million. Before So the fact that this that the state of Texas has refused to integrate themselves with the other states around them and refused to be oversight, you know, from a standpoint of federal regulations, made them highly, highly vulnerable to a catastrophic event becoming much, much worse. If you go, if you go back in the western neck Texas, northwest Texas, they've always been this cold. They get blizzards in Amarillo. They get, you know, bone chilling cold in Midland and in Lubbock. Yeah. But that's not where yeah. the power surges were. It was in your population density areas of, of Dallas Houston. and Austin and San Antonio and Houston because you now have all these new customers, you know, 10 million more people than you had 20 years ago still trying to use the same heating system and the same electrical system that hasn't been upgraded because Texas goes 
we can do things the way we want. Texas first, just like America first, Texas ended up being last in this um, in this last cold wave. And, and it be- never happened. And because they didn't insulate it, obviously that was that was a yeah. huge issue as well. Yeah, so- the, fact that they, the fact that they blamed you know, the, the 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 renewables for not providing enough energy is total garbage. Like, what's that about? Well, here's... That's like blaming the bully in eighth grade for why he didn't graduate from, from college, you know, nine years later. And, I mean, if you, and if you look in depth in it, and uh, it's really cynical, really cynical, uh, uh, Governor Abbott went on Dallas TV the day before he went on Fox, and he said, yeah, the gas uh, uh, lines had a problem. We couldn't get our fossil fuel. The next day he goes on Fox and he blames it on solar and wind. And like, it's just so cynical, just, just, and then, and then they start attacking, you know, uh, AOC who comes to Texas and raises money to help people. Boy, you guys are bereft of any ideas at all. Just except they run the state and they run, uh, our government in the minority. So there you go. All right, we're running out of time here. So it uh, looks like things are warming up. Looks like uh, it's, as you said, winter is over. So what do we got coming at us right now? Well, the funny thing about it is we're warming up, but we're supposed to be doing that this time of the year. Normal high is well, 40. Yeah. When people say 45, yeah, when people say 45, they go, I can't believe how warm it is. But 45 is only five degrees above normal. So the bottom line, though, we're certainly not nearly as cold as we were. We're done with the snow. We're done with the Arctic air. Uh, Four to five degrees, or I say five to 10 degrees above normal for the next four to five days. There's some inklings that this warmer air coming back at us for Thursday and Friday of of this coming week may not get here. may hold back a little bit. But, man, if you look at the way the entire pattern is, we're no longer in that wavy flow. It's more so coming in from the West. And as long as that happens, um, I don't think there's any chance of a late mid-March, mid-latitude cyclone event that can pull a lot of snow or a lot of cold air back over us. Got to be careful, though. Average snowfall for the month of March is 5.6. And Peg's talked about this before. The last three Aprils have produced more snow than the month of December. <laughs> so <laughs> we're not... We're not done with snow by any stretch of the imagination, but we're done with the Arctic cold. Um, and the one thing that's really nice is at six o'clock in the evening, um, it's bright out. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's I think. And we, and we change like, times in two weeks. And we change times in two weeks. And if you, if you notice, because we still have so much snow on the ground to the west of us, this time of the year, that brightness off the snow pass and the, and the blue sky, I almost get like dust that lasts for like 20 minutes, if you've yeah. noticed that. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah you the sunsets really, really, have been incredible. Yeah, they've really, really been nice. I hope that the clouds today will clear out. We'll get to see another full moon tonight like we did the last mm-hmm. two nights. But yeah. sunny, cool tomorrow, um, high of only 35 lakefront. Um, and then most likely mid-40s for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. But nothing in the way of any significant precip. So whatever snow that belt that we have out there is going to go right down into the soil, which is good news. Fantastic. All right. Well, I'm sorry you can't get back out on your skis, but, uh, you know, I and I am concerned, uh, and we'll be talking about it as the season goes on. Uh, we ended last year with wildfires in Colorado, and we might be seeing that again this year. That's, uh, that's a shame. Let's, let's keep an eye on that. But- 
But remember, last spring was the wettest spring on record. I don't want to go through that again. My, my dog every day was plomping his feet down in the mud, and he's doing it now. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure talking- he's already looking up new dog owners in, in Phoenix, Arizona. Well, the one thing we know is that we have no idea what's going to be here. Uh, nature has a way of surprising us, so I'm, I'm with you there. All right, Rick, have a great week. We'll talk to you uh, next Sunday. Sounds good. Take care, guys. You too. All right. There he goes. And uh, before uh, we wrap things up, there's only one thing that uh, I have to tell you. Alan! 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 Al! Alan! All right. I just, I just, (laughs) it just, I just, I had to get that in there just uh, at least (laughs) one more time. Okay. Uh, hey, look, we got through. Rick was here and everything. Uh, <laughs> people don't need to know how, how, how panicked we were uh, as we were trying to get Lisa Hilgenberg on, but uh, that's okay. I want to thank Lisa for, for being on the show. Boy, great advice. Uh, go to our website, and you can sign up for some classes at the Chicago Botanic Garden. Thanks to Elizabeth Alfano and the great news that she had on our show. Uh, thanks to Kathleen, as always. Uh, thanks to meteorologist Rick DeMaio, to uh, Basil the dog, Legata the cat, and of course our uh, our gopher or whatever, Alan Allen. Until next Alan, time, Alan. Until next time, go green or go home. Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.